Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Set you free. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only true democracy in talk radio of for and by you, the people. In this hour, before it's just you and me, and I always want your opinions, your questions, your comments, your concerns, we're going to talk to Ian Milheiser. He has been on the show many times before. He is a senior constitutional policy analyst at the Center for American Progress and the editor of Think Progress Justice. He is the author of Injustices, the Supreme Court's nearly unbroken history of comforting the comfortable and afflicting the afflicted. And we want to talk to him about what could happen and this challenge that is before the Supreme Court of the United States with regard to the executive order and specifically President Obama's immigration policies. Ian has written a piece entitled The Dirty Way Texas Could Win Its Supreme Court Challenge to Obama's Immigration Policies. He's an expert on this. I am not. And that is why I've asked him to be on the show so he can explain to us exactly what's going on so they don't just get sound bites, but we know everything here. And also, if you have questions for Ian, I welcome you, invite you, and encourage you to give us a buzz now. He'll be with us uh, for the first 20 minutes of the program. We'll be opening up the phone lines for your opinion. But if you have a question of him, because he would know the answer better than I, regarding this particular Supreme Court challenge, pick up the phone and join us. 8886 Leslie, 8886-5. Three seven five four three to call to tweet. Follow me at Leslie Marshall. I'll incorporate your tweets, emails. Go to LeslieMarshallShow.com. Click on contact. And on Facebook, you can FBS as well. Ian, thank you for uh, joining us and happy Monday. Thank you for being with us today. It's good to be here. Thank you so much. Some people would say, and you wrote, that this is one of the biggest uncertainties uh, in the United States versus uh, Texas. First of all, so people understand, what is the U.S. versus Texas specifically? Uh, You know, what was that ruling and how did it get to the Supreme Court? Sure. So, like, you might remember about a year and a half ago, President Obama announced various changes to his immigration policy. Um, This was supposed to allow about four to five million undocumented immigrants to remain in the country temporarily and to work while they're here. And um, then, right when these programs were about to go into effect, a very conservative uh, district judge down in Texas ordered them suspended, and they've been under the suspension ever since, um, in part because of bad luck that, um, you know, the, the Justice Department has gotten some very unlucky draws um, in the appeals courts, but in part just because of manipulation by, um, by Texas and, you know, how they've, they've pursued their case. It's now in front of the Supreme Court, and based on oral arguments today, there seems to be a pretty good high likelihood that this lower court judge's order suspending the programs will be upheld, not because there's a majority of the court that wants to do that, but because it looks like there may not be a majority willing to do anything. Um, they might split four to four, and so the Supreme Court will just not act. So obviously, um, 
you know, not just this case, any case before the court, Mm -hmm. if it is a a deadlock, if it is a tie, um, Mm -hmm. if you will, if it is four to four, the lower court rule stands. Uh, Some people have uh, put on Twitter and some people have asked me earlier today in emails when I was on television, if a lower court ruling stands and it's already been to the Supreme Court, can somebody bring it to the court again once there is a ninth member in a full court? Or is it sort of like double jeopardy and you get one chance? Well, in this case, I think it should be reasonably easy to bring it to the Supreme Court. Um, Part of the reason is because technically this comes up on what's called a preliminary injunction. And the reason why that matters is because when you get a preliminary injunction from a court, it means that there is more trial left to go. And so after there's a full trial, that could be appealed to the appeals court and ultimately to the Supreme Court. I could also think of, you know, various ways that the government could find to to get this in front of the justice. They could ask a lower court to reconsider an issue, and then when that petition for reconsideration is denied, they could appeal that to the Supreme Court. So, you know, this four to four isn't likely to be permanent. But, you know, remember the, the, the nonsense that's going on in the Senate right now where they refuse to confirm anyone. So depending on, you know, what happens with the Garland nomination and what happens with the election and whether or not we're actually going to be able to confirm a justice in a year or so, um, you know, we may have no resolution on this issue for months or even years. And when we look at things like this, why then does the Supreme Court even bother to hear these cases? Do they have to because it's already on the docket, it's on the calendar, and it's their responsibility? Or do they have the power and ability to say, we're going to hold off until we have a full court for this or any case? Yeah. Well, I mean, with this case, they had agreed to take the case when they were still a nine-member court. Um, There has been a slowdown in the number of cases they've taken since uh, Justice Scalia died. They've been taking them only at about a third of the rate that they have in the past. So I think the justices are aware of the fact that, like, they don't want to take on too much when they're not sure if they're going to actually be able to decide cases. But this was a really important case to get a decision on. You know, this this was a, a national program, a single very conservative district judge that Texas essentially sought out and like engaged in some pretty shady manipulation to make sure that this judge would be their their judge. Um, a single district judge issues a nationwide injunction, which is not something that is normally supposed to be issued against the United States. It was upheld by a very conservative three-judge panel, and that's it. I mean, I mean, you know, the idea that the fate of this national program would be decided by this one very conservative judge in Texas and these two extraordinarily conservative judges on the uh, on the Fifth Circuit—that's not how these things are supposed to work. That's Especially when you got to, when it's a state that, as of today, once again, for how many times now, says they want to secede from the rest of the nation. Um, it, it, when Looking at this, the lawsuit challenges a program known as Deferred Action for Parents of Americans and Lawful Permanent Residents, DAPA, as well as an expansion of the existing Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, DACA. Uh, Together, these programs are expected to allow 4.9 million immigrants to temporarily remain in the country and to work while they are here. Now, uh, forgive me if uh, I I am wrong. I heard an interview this morning uh, about this uh, issue. Are both uh, the DAPA and DACA what the Supreme Court is looking at, or is it only one portion um, of uh, of the, those two? Are they challenging both? So my understanding is that there there is a ch- is a challenge to DAPA, right. and then is a challenge to, to the. Ex- 
expansion of DACA. Right. So DACA, you will remember, um, was announced, you know, a number of years ago. There, there are you know several hundred thousand people who are DACA beneficiaries. That was a program that primarily impacted people who came here when they were young. Um, this program, th- this, um, these two announcements. One was an expansion of the DACA program. And then the other was the creation of DAPA, and DAPA is primarily a program benefiting the parents of um, lawful permanent residents and citizens. So, you know, these are programs that, like, are primarily about making sure that people who've lived here nearly their entire lives aren't suddenly thrown out of the country that they've always known, and they're about making sure that families aren't broken up. So that if you're a citizen, you don't come home one day and find that your mother's been deported. Let's talk about what happens if, in fact, it is four to four in the lower court rules. Mm -hmm. And I want to break it down. Let's start with the people and then we'll talk about policy or the, uh, you know, president's, uh, you know, executive actions. Um, We're talking about approximately 4.9 million immigrants Mm -hmm. allowed to temporarily remain in the country when you look at the combination of DAPA and DACA, um, nearly 5 million. If, in fact, the court upholds the lower court's ruling, are we going to see massive deportations or is this something or massive deportations from Texas or the ability uh, for individuals to do that? And I say that because we we don't have the manpower or the money to deport 4.9 people overnight. And the overwhelming majority of these people are law-abiding citizens, not to mention how many of them are children. Right. And what's so bizarre about this case is Texas basically concedes everything that you just said. So Texas concedes that the government only has the resources to deport a tiny fraction of the 11 million undocumented people in the country. They even said that, you know, if the government wanted to, it could identify in advance who the people are they didn't want to deport and give them special cards saying you are now a low-priority immigrant and, like, we're, you're not the person that that we're thinking of deporting. Like, all of that, Texas says, is okay. A big part of what Texas is complaining about is really just about the words that the government used. You know, in the DAPA memo, they refer to, at one point, the immigrants who benefit from this program as lawfully present. And the state thinks that it's terrible that the Obama administration used those words, even though like as you know justice kagan pointed out today at the oral argument they don't seem to have an objection if they use, if the administration had just used different words um and then on top of that there's concerns about whether or not these immigrants while they are here can have work authorization whether they can qualify for social security benefits and things like that you know federal law i think is very very clear that an immigrant who is granted deferred action is the term for what DAPA and DACA grant these immigrants, that they are allowed to receive work authorization and, um, you know, and, and, and other benefits. Um, but the Supreme Court today, or at least four of them, didn't seem too interested in probing into those laws because they were very obsessed with this notion of why did you use these words lawfully present, as if you know, by, by speaking the wrong words, Obama has somehow called down the wrath of something upon these people. Speaking of, if in fact the decision based on a 4-4 ruling Mm -hmm. in the court becomes the lower court ruling in Texas, what does that then say 
uh, about not only the president's executive order, but what does that mean for any from here until the end of his presidency? And is right. that what this is about? Is this about slapping the hands of a president who conservatives like right. to paint as overextending his reach? And do, and then people and then people on the right can say President Obama broke the law. Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly they're going to play those political games. Now, if you get a four to four decision, I mean, I don't know how effective a talking point it is to say that you got half of the justices to say that the, that the president broke the law. And then as a practical matter, even if you do get a four to four, you know, this is part of the reason I was going through this complicated litany of what is and is not being challenged in this case. It is not even clear what the administration isn't allowed to do that. I mean, can they reissue the wor- the order and just not use the magic words lawfully present? Do they ha- can they reissue it and say that um, you, you you can't have work authorization, that you can't have Social Security in there, or, or something else at, at, at issue? So a lot of what's happening here is that, yes, you're absolutely right, that Texas is trying to score political points against the president. And in the process of trying to score those political points, they risk creating a great deal of confusion where no one knows what the law is because they seem to care more about the political victory than they do about having coherent immigration law. And also, I would imagine that there is uh, there are some among us that are ignorant enough to think that once the Supreme Court decides this, that 4.9 million people will, will disappear. And we'll get to that in a sec. Will this lead to breaking up families? I, well, I mean... It is absolutely true that, well, so, I mean, I guess the honest answer to that is that a lot depends on the outcome of the election. Um, you know, there are actually two memorandums that were issued at the exact same time. Um, one was the DAPA memorandum, and then another one was, one was one dealing with priorities. And that one, you know, said that, you know, the immigration officials should focus on people who committed crimes, people who are a national security threat, people who are a threat to public safety. They shouldn't focus on, like, mothers of citizens, unless the mothers of citizens fit into one of, the, of those categories. Um, so I think that so long as immigration officials follow what is in those, um, that first memo, um, you know, you're probably not going to have a rush of new port deportations so long as you have a president who shares the policy priorities of Barack Obama. The problem is that you have these folks who are forced to live in the shadows, they're forced, forced to work in a shadow economy, and the shadow economy actually undermines everyone's wages because in the shadow economy people work for less because they don't have the protections of um of federal or state law, um, you wind up having people, you know, living in fear of what's going to happen to their parent. And then in the event that we suddenly have a president who um, thinks very differently than this president, I mean, really, no matter what happens in the Supreme Court case, absent a change in our immigration law, you know, a good president can only make a temporary fix for these folks. And if the next president wants to, you know, have very cruel priorities in, in, in who they target for deportation, there isn't much that prevents that. 
We're going to take a break. Ian, I know you were supposed to leave us. Can you stay with us because we have a couple of calls that I want to ask questions just for a few more minutes? Is that possible? Sure, I, just... I could do a couple calls. I appreciate it, Ian. Thank you. Ian Milheiser is our guest, editor of Think Progress Justice, also author of Injustices, the Supreme Court's Nearly Unbroken History of Comforting the Comfortable and Afflicting the Afflicted, and Senior Constitutional Policy Analyst at the Center for American Progress. Back with him and you right after this. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Leslie Marshall, not left, not right, just real talk. We are back with our guest, Ian Milheiser, Senior Constitutional Policy Analyst at the Center for American Progress, editor of Think Progress uh, Justice. Ian, let's take one call. We only have time for that to let you uh, have your life back. Uh, Ian Milheiser is with us. We are talking about the Supreme Court uh, Justice's uh, possible impending decision on the executive orders of President Obama with regard to immigration. On line two in Washington is Paul. Paul, quick question for Ian due to time. Yes, hi, Ian. Uh, this is a, a, it's kind of a twofold question. With um, the court possibly splitting 4-4 on this particular case, uh, could Barack Obama uh, reiterate the words of Andrew Jackson in 1831 when he said, John Marshall has made his decision, now let him enforce it, by saying John Roberts uh, apparently can't make a decision, so there's nothing to enforce. And the second part of the question would be, um, with these split types of split decisions, does John Roberts somehow need to think differently about how he decides in cases with four four splits on important cases? Does he risk that does he risk the court becoming irrelevant and often leaving the country uh, up in the air and in a lurch, uh, frankly, uh, with certain cases like Little Sisters for the Poor and cases that just don't have a, a clear cut decision? Good questions. Uh, thank you, Paul. Ian. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, to the second part of the question, you, as you might guess from the title of my book, I think that irrelevance would be an improvement over what we've gotten <laughs> from uh, the Supreme Court for, for, for quite a while. Um, you know, but, but the question of what happens if there's a four to four and the president just says, well, nope, I'm just not going to follow it if you don't give me a real decision. Um, that, that's a tough question. I think the answer is probably he can't do that. And here's the problem. The problem is that there's very, very still, quick, quick. Okay, there's still a nationwide injunction from the lower courts, and lower courts aren't supposed to do that normally. But the way that you fix a problem like that is the Supreme Court steps in, and now we have a Supreme Court that can't step in. So, right, uh, very good, very good point. So, it'll, and yeah. hopefully not, but probably be four to four. Lower court rules comes back when we finally get our ninth member. Paul, good questions. Ian, love having you. Ian Milheiser, senior constitutional policy analyst, policy analyst at the Center for American Progress. Editor of Think Progress Justice. Go to thinkprogress.org. Check her out. Literally. Go to www.lesleymarshallshow.com. Pick up the phone. 
everyone and join me. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. Now it's just you and me, your opinions, your comments, your questions, your concerns. The Supreme Court began hearing oral arguments today in a blockbuster case that threatens to kill the executive actions President Obama took two years ago to save nearly five million illegal immigrants from deportation. Now, it's possible, because we have an eight-justice bench, they could deadlock in deciding whether the president overstepped his executive authority. The court has shown signs that it's struggling to reach consensus, and without a ninth member uh, since the unexpected death of Justice Antonin Scalia, a 4-4 tie would be a win for Texas and the other 25 states that are challenging not just one, but both the pair of executive actions. These actions, the executive orders of the president, created the Deferred Action for Parents of Americans, DAPA, initiative, and expanded the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA, programs that the lower court put a hold on February of last year, 2015. Here are some things to know, a handful of things, but I want to get your take on it at 8886 Leslie, 8886537543. Just you and me, Ian has left us, so you don't have to have a question for him. I want your opinions and I want your comments and your concerns. 8886 Leslie. On Twitter, follow me there at Leslie Marshall to tweet. Now, before the Supreme Court can rule on the merits of the case, it must first decide if Texas had a legitimate basis to bring the case forward to begin with. The states argue. They will have to spend more money in public services like health care, law enforcement and education if undocumented parents of both American citizens and legal permanent residents are allowed to stay here. In other words, the kids of these illegals will cost them more whether the kids are born here or not. Texas says it would be most burdened by having to issue a substantial number of new driver's licenses. It's a benefit that is partially subsidized. And the administration argues those costs are self-generated. Quote, Texas has chosen to subsidize driver's license for all aliens within various federal immigration categories. If that choice no longer suits Texas' interest, it can make a different choice. So in other words, Texas doesn't have to allow somebody who is not documented to be able to legally in the state of Texas obtain a driver's license. Now, if the court finds the states lack standing, the case would be dismissed without consideration of the other challenges being lobbed and the president would be free to launch these programs. House Republicans are going to have 15 of the 90 minutes reserved for arguments to fight for the president's program to be struck down. It's about a third of the time. The Supreme Court issued the order giving lawmakers a chance to be heard. Not a third, excuse me, an eighth, right? Uh, A sixth, excuse me. Uh, The Supreme Court issued the order giving lawmakers a chance to be heard after the House in an unprecedented move filed an amicus brief in support of the states. The resolution will allow House Speaker Paul Ryan to file the brief passed largely along party lines. Quote, the executive is certainly free to disagree with the immigration laws and try to persuade Congress to revise them. And the executive even has some discretion, albeit nowhere near the unlimited discretion it claims, to decide how best to use its limited enforcement resources. But the executive does not have the power to authorize, let alone facilitate, the prospective violation of the immigration laws on a massive class-wide scale. That's what the House said in its brief. Now, Democrats who disagreed have filed their own brief in support of the administration. Aaron Murphy is an attorney with the D.C. law firm Bancraft PLLC, and they're going to argue on behalf of the House. One of the questions the Supreme Court is being asked to decide is whether the president should have followed the notice and comment requirements of the Administrative Procedures Act. The administration argues that its actions serve as guidance for the Department of Homeland Security in establishing national immigration enforcement policies and priorities but do not change the way the law operates. 
therefore not triggering the notice and comment requirements under APA. If the court agrees with the state's arguments that DAPA represents one of the largest changes in immigration policy in the nation's history and required public notice and an opportunity to comment, Democrats say the programs are both as good as dead. According to Congressman, uh, Congressperson Zoe Lofgren, uh, for a Democrat from uh, California, the trial said you had to use the APA to take a discretionary action. If the Supreme Court says that, no future president will be able to act. Court watchers say either Justice Anthony Kennedy or Chief Justice John Roberts could swing to the left in this case and actually side with the administration. In Arizona versus the United States back in 2012, both Kennedy and Roberts joined the court's liberal members in a 5-3 to three ruling. Elena Kagan had recused herself, if you remember, in that case. And it struck down parts of an Arizona state law that made it a crime to be in the state without legal papers, apply for or get a job in the state, and allow police to arrest immigrants they suspect could be deported. Here's what Kennedy wrote in the court's decision then. Quote, a principal feature of the removal system is the broad discretion exercised by immigration officials. And that's when Robert joined with the court's liberal justices, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Stephen Breyer, and Sonia Sotomayor. He said federal officials, as an initial matter, must decide whether it makes sense to pursue removal at all. In addition to this ruling, immigration advocates have pointed to Robert's history of having a narrow view of standing as a sign he might rule against the states. The court's decision will also have enormous implication for President Obama's domestic policy legacy. In both 2008 and 2012, the president campaigned heavily and promises to push for comprehensive immigration reform, including a pathway to citizenship for millions of undocumented immigrants. The platform energized Latino voters who flocked to the president by overwhelming margins in both elections. Seven years later now, the president has yet to make good on those promises. That failure, coupled with an increase in deportations that marked his early years in office, it's alienated some of the Latino leaders who helped get him elected. That includes several House lawmakers, like Congressman Luis Guitares, who is a Democrat in Illinois, and they've taken the rare step of picketing the White House. However the court rules, the decision is sure to make this situation, which is already intense and very partisan, even worse. And that fight over immigration reform on the presidential trail, it could be really proved to be crucial to the outcome of the race, which could obviously favor the Democratic candidate, or not. The number of eligible Hispanic voters is expected to top 27 million this year. That's according to the Pew Research Center. And those voters could be the difference in a number of battleground states like Virginia, Florida, Colorado, Nevada, and New Mexico. Donald Trump, who right now is the GOP frontrunner, is only heightened the debate by characterizing Mexican immigrants as rapists and criminals and also calling on Mexican to fund, Mexico to fund the construction of that border wall and urging a ban on all Muslims entering the country. Senator Ted Cruz, Trump's closest rival, well, he's adopted a hardline approach as well, even though he is not born here and is Hispanic. Mexican-American, wouldn't even know it. Mexican-American, excuse me. Vowing to prioritize security and enforcement efforts while deporting millions of undocumented immigrants. The message from the Democrats very different. Both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders support a comprehensive approach, including a pathway to citizenship. Both not only endorse the president's executive actions, easing deportation, they vowed to expand them. And of course, then they were just realistic two plus two equals four ideas. Who's paying for this? We don't have the persons, the number of persons in our government or the money to deport 4.9 people. So some say, as we talked about with Ian earlier, this pretty much is largely symbolic. I mean, 
how many people can ICE round up and deport if you don't have the physical number of people and the funds to do so, and you're certainly not going to see that en masse. And do we really want children ripped from their parents or parents from their children? Or do we want to send back productive members of this society? So let me ask you some questions and get to your calls. 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number to call. Tweet by following me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. One, how do you think the Supreme Court is going to decide this immigration case that puts President Obama's immigration executive orders in question? 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. The president's immigration executive orders prevented millions of undocumented immigrants from being deported. Now, if the court rules against his orders... Do we have the money to deport millions of immigrants of our country, America, to be honest with yourselves? 888-6-LESLIE. And if the Supreme Court rules against the president's executive orders on immigration, will this rip families apart? Are you okay with that? Is that the American way or the new American way? Maybe in a Trump America. 888-6-LESLIE. 888-653-7543. Should we be in the business and the cost, the expense of deporting 5 million people from our country or... Should we only be deporting the criminal element of this population, very small, the, and, and, and not the nonviolent, productive worker members of society doing entry-level jobs and other people that, that, that don't want to pick lettuce in 104-degree temperatures, six, seven days a week, 14 hours a day, 8886-LESLIE. And what about those children? Are you comfortable with that, America? 8886-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Now, for some... There, we know the environments that we'd be sending these people back to if we deport them. How would you feel knowing your country sent innocent families and specifically children back to perhaps death or to join gangs who would kill others and, by the way, could perhaps try to kill us? You know, pissing people off and then sending them away hasn't proven very well for us, has it? Al-Qaeda and ISIS come to mind. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. And even if the Supreme Court rules against the president's executive orders, how are authorities going to actually gather up about 5 million people to deport them out of the country? And again, how do we pay for it? 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. A 4-4 tie would still be a win for Texas and the 25 other states challenging a pair of executive actions from the president on immigration. Does this show... How important it is of getting another Supreme Court justice appointed for major decisions like this. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. Now, like I said, the Supreme Court first has to decide if Texas had a legitimate standing to bring the case forward. They argue that they'll have to spend more Texas in public services because of the undocumented immigrants there. Do you feel it's a valid argument, especially when their main concern are driver's licenses, which they as a state have the right to revoke? from anybody who is not a citizen living in the state of Texas. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. And if the court rules against the president's orders, what implications will this have on his domestic policy legacy? I mean, he campaigned heavily on comprehensive immigration reform, both in 2008 and 2012. These executive orders were certainly some of his biggest moves on this issue. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. Do we need to break, guys, or can I give a few more angles? We'll take a break. We'll be back. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE.
Leslie Marshall. Not left, not right. Just read, talk. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio of four and by you, the people. Pick up the phone and join me, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Tomorrow's the New York primary. I know, but we're going to talk about it tomorrow. And then we'll talk about the results on Wednesday. And if you're like me, sometimes we need a break from just talking about Bernie, Hillary, and Donald, and Ted. And this is the hour to do it. So talk to me about the Supreme Court's hearing oral arguments today regarding not one but two executive orders, an extension of one and an executive order the president put forth with regard to immigration. Is it realistic that 4.9 million people will be deported or should be deported? Can we afford it? Do we have the people to do it? And should it be done? How do you think the court will rule? Let me get to your calls. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Starting it out on line one in Albuquerque, New Mexico with Jim listening on KABQ Radio. Hi, Jim. Good afternoon. Thank you, Stephanie. And thank you for... And I'm not Stephanie. I'm Leslie. I'm not Stephanie. I'm Leslie. Leslie, I apologize. Thank you so much for your show. Um... I just want to say uh, I wish we would worry about American jobs first, and then we worry about everybody else after. Two, I'd like to see President Obama make a seating appointment. If McConnell's not going to act, go ahead and take the initiative and uh, put a Supreme Court justice in there. And can we start dealing with the specifics of agricultural workers? I mean, how many lettuce pickers are we talking, 94,500? Are we just saying these generality statements in which we need to focus on the specifics of saying, okay. Well, well they have, they have, spe- they have, spe- they do have specifics. I'm, my crew's looking up that number for you. And in addition to that, what, what more so matters to most Americans, so say the polls at least, is the economy. And we also show how they contribute to our economy in a positive yes. manner, not a negative manner. Yes, but the San Diego Union Tribune published a thing saying there was $5.5 billion in social costs, specifically emergency rooms and hospitals were shut down, along with a burden of educational uh, $4,500 per student per year. Yeah, but, you know, you know really wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you something. Being married to a trauma surgeon, I can tell you a little bit about the ER and who comes in there, okay? Because I'm the one that gets woken up sitting next to him at 3 o'clock in the morning when somebody gets hurt. Overwhelming majority of people that come through the ER have insurance, and those that don't, by the way, are not, for the most part, overwhelmingly, are citizens, and I'll tell you why. There is a fear among illegal immigrants. As a matter of fact, there was a program I was listening to today in Los Angeles locally, and they were talking to kids who have illegal immigrants as parents or undocumented workers as parents, and their parents came here. Um, you know, uh, you know, not and they're workers. They're not documented. They've been here for years. Some of these kids were born here. Some were not. And they said the biggest problem for their parents is health care. 
And if they get sick or need hospitalization or surgery, they're screwed. And they were asked, well, you know, they can go through the emergency room. They're too afraid. They're afraid to be deported. They're afraid to be separated from their children, especially when English is not a first language. They may not even have a command on it if they stayed, you know, in in a community constantly speaking Spanish. And in addition to that, don't fully understand all this stuff. All they hear is that 4.9 million people could be uh, deported. They think they're one of them and they think they could be separated from the kids. They're not going to do anything to risk that. That includes getting a license and certainly going into the uh, the hospital. Remember the countries, whether it's Mexico or some other Central American countries, uh, the, a, a lot of these Hispanics come from. And then other uh, other undocumented workers like from China, um, they come from very corrupt governmental systems. They come from a place where if you go into the, the hospital, uh, the person checking you in knows the cop on the corner, can call the cop on the corner. Do you know what I'm saying? So they're not yeah. very trusting of these big buildings with people with badges and uniforms, even if they're doctors, um, because they think they're everybody's in bed together and cahoots with each other because that's how it is from the country they hailed from. But may I say one more thing, Leslie, is I really feel for these people, all of these people as a human being, I do, but all of the problems that they're experiencing are not ours. They've made decisions to put themselves into a position that bring the problems to us. But wait a minute, I disagree. They are our problems, and let me tell you why. Nobody, I should say nobody, most people would not have come here unless there was an opportunity for employment. So somebody hired them. In the case of most of them, major corporations that own the lands for these agricultural industries, whether it be winemaking, lettuce picking, strawberry planting, uh, they house these individuals, they pay them less than minimum wage, and they, these people are very much uh, in servitude uh, to their employers. Okay, One. Two, this is not today. That There are people that have been here longer than you and I. There are people that have been here for generations, for decades, for, for many, many years, and nothing was ever done. Nobody even cared or bothered, and quite frankly, the only reason it matters now is is because they, because Republicans, in my opinion, feel it benefits them to 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 demonize Democrats as being a friend to those that have broken the law. But it's amazing; over 11 million people didn't come here overnight, or even in a couple of years. It took decades for these people to come here. And if you notice, when our economy took a downturn, so did the number of people crossing our border because there just weren't the jobs for them to come to. Right. And if I could add one more thing, uh, there have been uh, amnesty programs since President Ford, Reagan, Carter, yep. all of them. Well, no, 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 it always have been. There have been like Ra- like Reagan supported an amnesty program, not, not always there's, in play. There's just some of us that want the law enforced. And if you're looking for a labor force to deport them, we retired military veterans are ready to drive the bus for free. Provide us for lunch. and uh, So you're, 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 you would feel comfortable. You would feel comfortable rather than going overseas and fighting ISIS or manning our border for future people not to come into this country to deport children who had no choice coming here, do the will of their parents. I have a seven and eight year old. When I say get in the car, we're going here. They don't have much of a choice. And in addition to that, some individuals that might be elderly, they might be sick. They've never committed a crime. They, they don't drive. They've never had a speeding ticket or a parking ticket. You know, that's not where I want my tax dollars spent. 
and and quite frankly, that's not what our military signs up for. We, I appreciate well, I, everybody. I, call, I, 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 I'm out of time. I'm out of time. Nothing against you personally. I can't run the clock. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. I'm Leslie Marshall. Be sure to tune in here on the only true democracy and talk radio. Thank you to Stu, Steve Trippy sitting in for Mark Grimaldi today. We'll be back tomorrow. And to Andrew Tomedy, who's here with us Monday through Friday as well. I'm Leslie Marshall. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a wonderful afternoon and evening.